0: Thank you for being in church tonight on Valentine's night. I mean, this is extra dedication that you're here tonight. And I thought for your Valentine's enjoyment, a little humor might be appropriate to get the ball rolling tonight. So I found this uh, little story that I thought you might enjoy. An elderly pastor was searching his closet for his collar uh, before church one uh, Sunday morning. In the back of the closet, he found a small box containing three eggs and a hundred one-dollar bills. He called his wife into the closet to ask her about the box and its contents. Embarrassed, she admitted having hidden the box there for the entire 45 years of their marriage. Disappointed and hurt, the pastor said, why did you do that? The wife replied that she hadn't wanted to hurt his feelings. He asked her how the box could have hurt his feelings. She said that every time during their marriage that he had preached a poor sermon. She had placed an egg in the box. The pastor felt that three poor sermons in 45 years was certainly nothing to feel too bad about. So he asked her what the $100 was for. She replied, each time I got a dozen eggs, I sold them to the neighbors for a dollar. And so I read that and I thought, now that's a little Valentine humor today, husband and wife. I heard about another pastor who was just the opposite. He had preached one Sunday and really had a good sermon. It was good. Everybody knew it was good. He knew it was good. And so he got in the car after the service. He and his wife were going home, and he's buffed up, feeling pretty good about his sermon. And he said to his wife, tell me honestly, how many truly great preachers do you think there are in the nation? And he, she looked at him and said, one less than you think. <laughs> kind of put him in his place. So anyway, a little Valentine humor. Now, okay, in just a minute, we're going to start back in our study on Elijah that we began last week. And I'm super excited about this study tonight. But I want to give you uh, a little bonus preaching at the beginning of this sermon that will not be long, and I will not develop this. Although what I'm about to give you could be a sermon and may one day be a sermon. And I, if so, I will thoroughly enjoy preaching this sermon. But in my Bible reading this morning, I came across a verse that I hadn't read in a while. And when I read the verse, it just blessed my heart. And it has something to do with love. And so since it's Valentine's, open your Bible, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. Now, this is just my Bible reading this morning. I read a chapter out of Job in the Old Testament I believe chapter 21 was the chapter I was assigned today and then in the New Testament I read 1 Corinthians chapter number 8. It's a short chapter and in the chapter Paul is talking about how we should be sensitive not only to our own conscience but to other people's conscience and how we should never do anything that might make somebody else stumble in their faith. That's that's what this chapter is about. Eating meat offered to idols. So that's it. But tucked away in this chapter is an amazing verse. And this verse tells you one of the three ways, or there are probably more than three ways, but one of the ways that you can know that you're truly saved. And I want to read this to you tonight because somebody might need this. This might be just for you tonight. If you have come to this service or if you're listening at home and you're wondering tonight, am I truly saved? Well, this verse will help you with that. 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 3. Here's what it says in the New King James. If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. I looked that up in several translations. The NIV says it best. The NIV simply says it this way. Whoever loves God is known by God. Say that with me. Whoever loves God is known by God. Let me ask you this question tonight. Do you love God? If you can say yes to that, I can assure you that you're saved because you couldn't love God without the Holy Spirit living in you, giving you that love. You know, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, at the final judgment, there will be many who will stand before him and uh, say, Lord, didn't we cast out demons and do all these mighty works in your name? Surely we get to go to heaven. Look at what all we did And Jesus said in that day, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. He didn't say that he's going to say, depart from me, I used to know you. You can't lose your salvation. Depart from me, I never knew you. The people who go to heaven are the people who are known by God. And the people who go to hell are the people who God doesn't know in any kind of personal way. So the question is, how can we know that God knows us? Well, here's one of the ways right here. Whoever loves God is known by God. If you love God, God knows you. I'll tell you another way you can know you're saved. Nahum chapter 1 and verse 7. You can know that you're saved. You can know that God knows you if you trust him. Nahum 1-7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who trust in him. If you trust him, he knows you. And then in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3, by this we know that we know Him. We know that we're saved if we keep His commandments. Now, not that we keep them perfectly. In Bible times, that word keep was a word that was used when they would sail the their ships in the ocean and they would sail them by the stars. This was before they had all the nautical equipment that ships have today. And so those pilots of those ships, would, those captains would get in there and they would look at the stars and they would line their ships up by the stars and that's how they would get to the desired port. Now, sometimes they might oversteer or understeer. Sometimes the clouds might cover the stars. Sometimes they get, might, might get off course. But as soon as they saw the stars, they would realign themselves. When the Bible says, by this we know that we know God if we keep his commandments. It's not saying sinless perfection because none of us have a chance for that. But it's saying, here's how you can know you're saved. Are you living your life According to the stars of God, the commandments of God. Are you seeking to sail the ship of your life according to those commandments? And that doesn't mean you never get off course, that you never make a wrong turn. But when you do and you become aware of it, you realign and you get back on path. So three ways that a person can know that he's truly saved. Number one, are you trusting Jesus? Because if so, he knows you. And if he knows you, he'll never tell you that he never knew you. Because he could never tell you that he never knew you if he knows you now. So if you're trusting Jesus, you are saved. If you love God, you are saved. You could not love God without the Spirit placing that love for you. That's not a natural thing. The unsaved man doesn't love God. He can't love God. He doesn't have the Spirit of God in him. The unsaved person fears God and maybe even hates God. But the saved person loves God because the Spirit has poured God's love into our heart. And then a saved person is not perfect. But a saved person seeks to live his or her life by the commandments of God. And so if you can say tonight, I trust God, sometimes my faith wavers, but I do trust God. I love God, not as deeply as I want to, but I know I love God. And the desire of my heart is not to sin, but to live my life according to the teachings of Scripture and the commands of God. I can assure you tonight on the authority of God's Word that you are saved. Amen? Now, that's the sermon before the sermon. Now, that's pretty good right there. You leave here tonight and get home. So I Went to First Baptist tonight. What did they preach about? Well, the first sermon was about the assurance of salvation. And the second sermon is about what to do when the brook dries up. Now, that requires a little more explanation. So, let's open our Bibles or turn in your Bible tonight to 1 Kings chapter 17. Because as we began our study on the prophet Elijah last week we saw that this godly man living in an ungodly day in an ungodly age was used by God in an absolutely amazing way. Elijah, as I said last week, is on my Mount Rushmore of Bible characters. Moses and Elijah in the Old Testament, Peter and Paul in the New Testament, Jesus is not on Mount Rushmore. Jesus was on Mount Calvary. He has his own mountain. He's above and beyond that. But uh, Elijah is a major, major player in the Bible. And we saw last week that out of nowhere, Elijah emerged onto the scene and he went to the wicked king Ahab and he said to Ahab, there will not be rain anymore in Israel until I tell it to rain. Now, he never would have said that had God not sent him. God had said to Elijah, you go to the king and you tell him, this king, this Ahab, who now is leading the whole nation of Israel into Baal worship. And as we said, as I said last week, the worship of Baal, they're, they're worshiping a made-up false God. It's a mythological God. There is no Baal. But they're worshiping this God, thinking that Baal is the God of fertility. Baal is the one who makes it rain. Baal is the one who makes the crops grow. And so God said, You think that Baal's the one sending rain? Elijah, tell Ahab I'm the one who sends rain and I'm the one who stops the rain and there'll be no more rain in Israel until you tell it to rain, Elijah, because you're my prophet and I'll tell you when you tell it to rain. And so he went to Ahab and he had that message for him. Now, after he had delivered that message, look in verse number 3 of 1 Kings 17. God said, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith which flows into the Jordan, and it will be that you shall drink from the brook. And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. And this is how we ended our sermon last Wednesday night. A place called there. There is a specific place. It is God's will for your life. It is the place where he wants you to be. And so God said to Elijah, you go to the brook Cherith. That is you're there. And when you get there, there'll be water to drink, And I'm going to send the ravens to feed you, and uh, you'll have all the food that you need there. Verse 5, so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. For he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan. That is the Jordan River. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. Hamburgers for breakfast and hamburgers for supper. That's what Elijah was eating, and it says he drank from the brook. So Elijah is in the place called there. He is in the center of God's will for his life, and his needs are being met, and he's drinking water out of that brook, and the ravens are bringing him food, and Elijah is thinking, man, the middle of God's will, the center of God's will is a wonderful, wonderful place to be. But we come to verse 7, and it's quite interesting what we read, and it happened after a while, that the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. See, there's a drought in Israel. Elijah had pronounced it. God had caused it. <laughs> and there's no, there's no rain coming down in Israel. And so now this brook that Elijah has been sent to by God, this brook that Elijah has been drinking from, this brook has dried up. Now, I don't know what Elijah thought when the brook dried up. He may have thought, I certainly would have thought, and said to God, Now God, wait a second. You sent me to this brook, and now the brook has dried up. And Lord, you know I have to have water to live, and now that the brook has dried up, what do you propose that I do? What what am I supposed to do? I might not even have said that to God. I might, and you might too, have just concluded, since this brook has dried up, what we need to do is find us another brook. God sent us here, and this has worked up until now, but it's not working anymore, and so what we need to do is go find us another brook. Well, eventually, Elijah did leave where he was, but he didn't leave immediately, but the question I'm raising tonight, and what I want us to think about as it pertains to our own life, not just to Elijah's brook, but our brook, sometimes in life, God sends us, God gives us an assignment, and we go to that place. And we do what God has told us to do, and this could happen to you at work. This could happen to you in a uh, some kind of a volunteer project. This, you know, God has given you an assignment, and you've gone there and you've been faithful and you've done what God told you to do. But after a while, the brook may dry up. Uh, this could happen sometime, not just with an assignment. It could happen with a blessing. God may give you a special blessing in your life, a financial blessing, a a blessing of good health and healing, and you're just like Elijah was at this brook. Man, you're just enjoying the blessing, and you're appreciating what God has done for you. But time goes on, and the brook dries up, and the blessing that was so wonderful for a season doesn't seem to be there anymore. Sometimes the the, uh, the brook just dries up, and this is what happened in Elijah's case. Now, before we get into this, I want to make clear that when we talk about the brook drying up, the brook here represents God's assignment for Elijah, it represents God's blessings in Elijah's life, and it represents the method by which God blessed Elijah. God gave him water from this brook. I want to be clear, the brook does not represent a commitment that you've made to God. In other words, you wouldn't want to read you've made some commitment to God and you say, well, this commitment's not working out too good. The brook is dried up. I guess I just need to leave this commitment and go find another brook. No, that, this is not a this is not that this is not that. This is an assignment, this is a blessing. Or this is the method by which God is chosen or is choosing to meet your needs and take care of you. And sometimes the blessing dries up. Now, as I think about this and you think about your own life, I want to make four comments because I've made four observations about this brook drying up that I want to just kind of lay on your heart tonight. Number one, you may feel this way. You may have been at work all day and you say, John, it's the same place, it's the same job, I'm working with the same people, but the brook is dried up it's not enjoyable like it used to be. It's not rewarding like it used to be. It's not fulfilling like it used to be. It's not what it used to be. Uh, It's not easy like it used to be. I don't feel feel the anointing. It's just something has changed. The brook has dried up. What in the world am I supposed to do? Number one thing is this, don't trust the brook. Trust the Lord. If we're not careful, sometimes in life we begin to trust God's blessings more than we trust God Himself. Now, in Elijah's case, the brook was the channel of blessing, but God was the source. You see, sometimes in life, God will bless somebody, and maybe financially, it's easy to illustrate. God gives that person a financial blessing, and then, man, Look look at this windfall of money that has come my way, and there's a financial blessing, and you're appreciative of that, and you thank God for that, and you want to be a good steward of that. And yet, if you're not careful, you can begin to rest in the blessing instead of resting in God. A person could say, well, man, with all this money now, I don't have to worry about the future Look at all, but, but if you're not careful, you'll be like the rich man in the story Jesus told who had so many things and so much money that he said, I must build bigger barns. And the, I, the barns I have are not big enough to hold all the blessings that I have. I'll hold bigger barns. And, 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 and then he said, you know, I don't have to work anymore. I don't have to worry anymore. Everything I need is right here in all these blessings. And he put his faith in his money. And God said to that man, you, sir, are a fool. Because you don't know that tonight your soul will be required of you. And then whose will all these things be? And so we have to be careful. We want to be grateful for the blessings. But don't ever put your faith in the blessings of God. Put your faith in God himself. It is God who we trust. It is not the channel of blessings. As we go through life, we notice this. The channels change, but the headwater never changes. God never changes. God can bless us. God can meet our needs. God can help us through different people and in different ways. But I even think here in our own church through the years of people that have been such a blessing to us, to my family in the years past. And uh, I'm not going to start calling names tonight because I'd certainly leave somebody out. But so many of those people have gone on to be with the Lord now. Now, when you're working closely with people... And they're helping you with projects and giving you counsel and giving you wisdom and praying for you and doing all these things. It's easy, if you're not careful, to put your faith in them and to lean on them instead of leaning on God. Remember, blessings the channel changes. The blessings change. People change. Everything changes but God. And so we want to keep our focus on God. He is the only thing in our life. That never changes. Amen? You know, I'm not a doctor. I Google a lot, so I feel like I'm almost a doctor. I, I'm, I look a lot of things up. But sometimes you'll hear about, and I think, I think medically this is actually true. Sometimes a person will go through a major life change. I'm thinking of a, of a family here in our church. They're both in heaven now. But years ago, their house flooded. And it flooded back during Hurricane Harvey. And the couple had some health issues before that happened. But for the man, once that happened, it just kind of threw him. Because they couldn't live in their house, and they had to live in a hotel for several months. And, and it just kind of threw them out of, out of their routine. And I think medical, I think this is true sometimes this happens. When a, when a person goes through something like that, that can bring on, doesn't always... And I don't even know that it would be the root cause of it. But that can cause sometimes some memory problems. It can cause, you know, if you maybe you've, you've had something similar to that or a person has just some other tragedy or something, and it has just turned their life upside down. And everything that to them represented stability and normalcy has been taken from them. And maybe if they were 30 years old, they could have handled that better. But at an advanced age with already existing health issues and maybe some memory things going on. Again, I'm not a doctor. I don't play like I am. But I'm saying, you talk to the doctors and they will say, no, what he's saying is right. Sometime in a situation like that, it can, it can throw a person. And it can, it can confuse a person. And they, they never fully are able, maybe, I'm not saying they're not able to, but in some cases they don't fully recover from that. Now, the illustration I'm using there is is medical. And so, in that case, those illustrations would be exempted from the point that I'm going to make. Although that's a sub-point of the point. But the point I'm making is this. In life, if you are seeking to find stability, normalcy, peace, and security on anything other than Jesus Christ. If whatever it is, if whatever rug you're standing on represents for you all of that, I'm saying this to you, if that rug is ever pulled out from under you, you're going to have a hard time getting your equilibrium back. Whereas if we're standing on Jesus, and we may experience some of the same tragedies in life and it'll throw us for a while too, but barring some medical situation or some mental problem that is, is, is above and beyond what I'm describing here. Now, if a person has that, they, that, what I'm saying would not necessarily compensate for that because that's a whole other category. But I'm saying, in time, with God's grace we would be able to find our footing again and to find our stability again and to be okay again. You, you see this. Sometimes people lose a spouse or they lose a child or they lose their income or they lose a job or they move to a different city or something happens and it just throws them. And again, sometimes there's nothing they can do to prevent from being thrown because there's something going on with Alzheimer's or with dementia or something else that is, that's, that's in a different category. But I bring that out today to say that sometimes even a person who doesn't have that can be so thrown that in the short term, they feel like that they might be experiencing something like that, when in reality, that's not what they're experiencing. They're just trying to find their footing again. So what I'm saying tonight is, uh, the wisest thing that we can do is to find our security and our peace, and our provision in the presence of God, in the provision of God, and not try to wrap that all up in another person or in something else that could one day be taken from us. Amen. Does that make sense what I'm trying to say? So don't trust the brook. Trust the Lord. Number two thing I would encourage you to do. If you say, John, the brook is dried up. Now, I'm not talking about in your marriage or in some, something like that. Where you've, that that's, different, that's totally different. I'm talking about an assignment or a blessing. The the brook has dried up. Number two, don't assume that you're out of God's will. Just because the brook has dried up at the place where you're working, that doesn't necessarily mean you should go work somewhere else. Don't assume that you're out. of it. It may be a time of testing that you're going through. Doesn't mean that God's getting ready to move you. It may be that God is testing you. At this brook, think about this Elijah was not out of the will of God, Elijah was in the will of God. Elijah was at the brook because God sent him to the brook. You know, sometimes well meaning people, and I'm reading through Job right now, and we all know about the problems Job had lost all the things he lost, and his kids, and his health, and his reputation. It was horrible. And those three friends came to him. And it's interesting because I was reading this story the other day. When they first came to Job, the Bible says they saw the great distress that he was in. And when they saw what had befallen Job, they just sat down with him to comfort him. And they did not say a word for several days. That's a really good friend right there. Who just shows up and sits down and hurts with you. And didn't try to explain everything. But after a few days, they started talking, and that's when things got, went from bad to worse. And in all their talking, they start explaining to Job how, Job, the reason that you're having all these calamities in your life is there must be some hidden sin in your life, and God is dealing with you because of that sin. Well, Job was not sinless, but he knew that he wasn't living a double life, that he wasn't out there in 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 you know repetitive, unrepented uh, of sin. He he knew that wasn't the case. But they just said, Job, the reason you're having trouble is you're out of the will of God. Now, today, many times we think, well, look, if I'm not happy where I'm working, or if I'm not happy Uh, In this situation, it just must mean I'm out of the will of God. If I'm if I'm having problems, this must not be God's will. Let me give you some illustrations to prove that that's not true. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were in the fiery furnace, but they were not out of the will of God. In fact, they were in the fiery furnace because they were in the will of God. It was their faith in God that landed them in the fiery furnace. Daniel was in the lion's den. But he was in the lion's den because he was out of the will of God. He was in the lion's den because he was in the will of God. The disciples in that little boat on the Sea of Galilee got into a horrible storm where they thought they would certainly lose their lives. But they weren't in that storm because they were out of the will of God. They were in that storm because they were in the will of God. Jesus had commanded them to cross the sea. And so tonight, if the brook's drying up for you, or you're in a storm or a furnace or a lion's den, listen, Paul wasn't in prison because he was out of the will of God. Paul was in prison because he was in the will of God. And just because the brook dries up and circumstances go south, that doesn't mean that we're out of the will of God. The apostle John was exiled on the Isle of Patmos, not because he was out of the will of God. He wasn't being disciplined by God. He was there because he was in the will of God. And so, just because your brook has dried up, that doesn't mean that you're out of the will of God. It just means that you might be in the will of God. You say, Well, John, my brook's dried up, and I have prayed and prayed and prayed, and God hasn't said anything to me. God has not given me an answer for why my circumstances have gone south. You know, I heard somebody say this years ago, and I never have forgotten, and I thought it was so good. When you're in school taking a test, when a student is taking a test, the teacher is silent. Right? I mean, the teacher's not talking during the test. The teacher was talking for days and weeks before the test. But during the test, the teacher's silent. Sometimes in our life, it's the same way. We're being tested, and we're praying, God, why? God, what is this? And sometimes God is silent. Remember this, anytime God is silent, that doesn't mean he's abandoning you. It just means he's testing you. He's testing you to find out what's in your heart, to find out if we'll continue to trust him and be faithful even when nothing makes sense. So uh, I'm saying, don't assume that you're out of the will of God. Number three, don't forget to seek the Lord. The natural thing to do when the brook dries up is just to get out of Dodge, just to leave and go somewhere else. But that's not what Elijah did, not initially. Look in verse 8. Now, Elijah in verse 7, the brook dries up. But in verse 8, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So when his brook dried up, he just sat in the presence of God, Undoubtedly, he was praying. Here we read that God spoke to him and God told him what to do. And what happened in this situation is that God had a different there for him. So he was supposed to leave the brook Cherith and go to Zarephath. His there changed. So when the brook dries up, this is very important for us to remember. When the brook dries up, you stay where you are until you get further instructions from God. Many times through the years, I've talked to somebody and they just are in a work situation that is awful and they're miserable and they just are convinced in their heart that the brook has dried up and they're supposed to be somewhere else. And I have said to them, I say, look, I'm not God to you. I can't get the last word on your situation. And God may tell you to quit with nowhere to go, but I'm saying this to you you've got a family to provide for and bills to pay, my advice to you would be to stay where you are until God opens another door. You, you want to wait on further instructions from God. Or if not, it's almost like we just take matters into our own hands and we begin to just go from brook to brook to brook to brook and we're just moving all over the place instead of saying, now God, what is it that you would have me to do. And let me give you a scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul is writing to Timothy, his assistant in the ministry. And Timothy's going through some challenges in the church where he was pastoring. He was pastoring in Ephesus, the church that was founded by the Apostle John, uh, pastored by the Apostle Paul, and now Timothy is the pastor. How would you have liked to have had that job? How would you like to be Timothy with everybody saying, well, you know, when Paul was our pastor, or now when John was our pastor, the one who loved you, but now we've got you. And so Timothy, he had an upset stomach over the stress of pastoring this church. And undoubtedly, he was thinking, God, is there another church I could go pastor? And Paul wrote him a letter, and in 1 Timothy chapter 1 in verse 3, he said these three words to, to, to his son in the ministry. He said, remain in Ephesus. You stay right there. In other words, just because it's hot in the kitchen, that doesn't mean you should go out of the kitchen. You don't leave the kitchen until God tells you to go out of the kitchen. And so don't forget to seek the Lord. Stay where you are until you get further instructions. If God is being silent, don't do anything. Think about that. You're trying to make a decision. God is silent. You can't make it. If God God is silent, you can't do anything but stay where you are because you wouldn't know That you were doing the right thing. And so stay where you are. Until you get further instructions from God. And Elijah got further instructions. And when he did. He went. to the. And we're going to pick up there next week. He went to this next place. And there was a widow there. And they were a blessing to each other. And that will be a good one for next week. But for tonight. I'm saying to you. At the dried up brook. Seek the Lord. Ask God. We just had a prayer and fasting emphasis. But. That might be something that we need to do again before next January. Or that might, that some, individually. That if you're trying to make a decision or trying to know what to do, fast and pray and ask God for a word. And be committed to stay where you are until and unless God tells you to go somewhere else. And then number four, the last thing I would say, what to do when the brook dries up? Well, these first three things are good. But look at number four. Don't be so set in your ways that you're not open to something new. Something God, sometimes God has something new. God will either refill the brook where you are, and there'll be water there again. God may not refill the brook, but he'll refill you. He'll give you a fresh anointing to stay in a dried-up place. Or, as happened to Elijah, God will release you from the brook, and God will redirect you, and God will send you to the place where he wants you to be. So don't be so set in your ways that you're not open to something new. I can remember years ago, my dad and I went to California to attend a conference at Rick Warren's church, Saddleback Church. It was one of the best conferences that we have ever been to. We went in 2004, and it was just phenomenal. Thousands of ministers had come from all over the nation and from around the world. And Rick Warren, who, amongst being a very creative church planner and visionary leader is a Bible scholar beyond what I even understood. I mean, he's, he's truly uh, remarkable. In fact, he's just been named to the position, I can't remember if it's, if it's regent or, some, or chancellor or something at Spurgeon's College in London, not requiring him to live there full-time, but that's nonetheless his responsibility. And he was sharing with us how Saddleback started with just a handful of people in he and his wife's apartment or house and then grew to be one of the largest churches in the nation. But he said in the years of growth, certain things had changed that had affected their methods, how they reached people. One of the examples he gave, he said, you know, back in the day, one of the things that was most effective if you wanted to grow a church, was you would just mobilize the people and you would just go door to door to every house in town and invite people to church. And they had done something similar to that. But he said there came a point where in many of the neighborhoods and many of the, you know, many of the districts out there, you couldn't do that. There was no soliciting. There, you couldn't get in. it. They were gated communities. And so a method that had been most effective for them until that point, the brook dried up. And so he's saying now, how do you invite people to church when you can't get to their house because they live in a gated community? Or there's an ordinance that says no solicitation, and that's considered solicitation in some municipalities. So, so he talked about trying to be But what I'm saying is sometimes that, that will even happen in church life. So all of us have to say, I can't be so set in my ways that just because something worked yesterday, that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to work today. It was God's brook then, but God may have a different way to do that now. And so we, it's, a, it's a challenge for all of us not to be so set in our ways, especially for somebody like me who is most set in my I like my ways. That's why I'm set in my ways. And maybe you're that way too. You tend to not like change. It's understandable, but I mean... We may not like change, but a casual reading of the Bible tells us that God likes change. Now, God himself never changes, but his mercies are new every morning. When you wake up tomorrow, you're going to have the mercies of God, but they're going to be new for you tomorrow in a way they weren't today. They're new every morning. God likes new things. God said in Isaiah, I will do a new thing for you. He didn't say, I'm going to repeat the old thing. I'll do a new thing, new songs, a new heaven, a new earth. We might resist change because it's uncomfortable and unfamiliar to us. But God likes that. God's character never changes. But sometimes God does things in a different way. And so I encourage you, don't be so set in your ways that you're not open to something new. Now, you still listen? Say amen. Years ago, I did a funeral for a lady For a man, rather, who had been married to his wife for 62 years. This funeral was 10 or more years ago, approximately 10 or more years ago that I did this funeral. and um, He had gotten in bad health, had suffered for a while, and he died. And so I met with his wife and the family, and I planned the funeral and tried to stay in touch with her a little bit after that. And she said to me one day, she said, because I said, how are, you, how are you doing Six, sixty-two years? You're talking about the rug being pulled out from under you. She said, well, John, it's the hardest thing I've ever been through. She said, I can barely remember my life before we were married. I, I mean, we've been married so long, I can't remember my life before him. And she talked about how God was helping her and so on. And then she said something, and she was probably in her mid to late 80s. But she said something to me that when she said it, it surprised me. But the more I thought about it, I thought, well, she didn't say it immediately, but she said this eventually. She said, you know, John, I'll never stop missing my husband. I am glad he's not sick. I know he's in heaven. I know that one day I'll see him again. But she said, I'll be honest with you at this point. Now, this was weeks or months after the fact. She said, I, I'm ready now for my new chapter. And I thought, how many people do you know 85 or 90 years old? Now, she wasn't talking about at that point, you know, going get, to probably get married again. She wasn't, she wasn't talking about that. Although she could have, but that wasn't what she was talking about. She, what she was saying is, John, upon reflection and upon some time, and upon God's grace and God's help and God's healing. I'm just ready for whatever God has next for me. What was she saying? Well, if you knew that lady, she was saying, I love my husband. We were a team for 62 years. But what she was really saying is, when it comes to my ultimate security, my ultimate stability, my ultimate peace, My ultimate normalcy. As close as my husband and I were, I didn't build my life on my husband. I built my life on the Lord. And even though my husband is gone, the Lord is still here with me. And I'm just anxious to see what he's going to do next for me. And I just remember thinking, man, at that season of life with that much heartache, to be that focused on God... And the fact that even though brooks dry up, situations change, people sometimes die, the one thing we have in our life that will never change is Jesus Christ. And I'm encouraging you tonight, especially if your brook has dried up, focus on Him, trust in Him, seek counsel from Him, and let Him show you what to do next. Amen? Father, I thank You tonight that You are the source of every blessing. You are the headwaters. And we have different brooks and different streams and different rivers and different people and different opportunities and different assignments and different blessings and different experiences. And God, the the headwaters of, of, of your grace are so strong that they're just multiplied rivers flowing from those headwaters. But God, sometimes a river may dry up. And sometimes that does happen. And so God, when it does, I ask you to help us tonight to remember what Elijah did when his brook dried up. Help us to remember to wait and to listen and to get a fresh word from you before we make any major life decision. Now with your head bowed and eyes closed tonight, if there's a a brook in your life that has dried up, Maybe one thing I said tonight, maybe one of these four points spoke most to you or mostly to you. Would you just ask God to to help you to be faithful at that brook until God shows you what to do next? God, help us never to be one step ahead of you, but always one step behind. Help us to never become our own providence or our own way maker. But to trust you to make the next step clear. God, I pray for that person tonight whose brook has dried up. That you would encourage them to know this is a test. That you are sovereign. And that one way or another, you're going to meet their needs. Maybe not the same way you met them in the past. But the headwaters are still flowing. And their needs will be met. Now tonight, if you've never been saved, you need Jesus. You need forgiveness. We saw another, on Sunday another good number of people saved. You say, John, I want to know for sure that, I am, that I'm born again. What you were talking about at the beginning. That I want to have that assurance of my salvation. Pray this prayer. Lord Jesus, please forgive my sins. All of them. Come into my heart and make me a Christian. I ask you to save me. I trust you to do it. Welcome to my heart. Lord, be for me the living waters. And if brooks of circumstances around me dry up, I thank you this this well living in me never will dry up. I thank you now I have a a river of life flowing out of me. Welcome to my heart, Jesus. Make me the person that you want me to be.